Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsyllabus. What we do here on this show, dear old podcast is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time. But seeing as it's summer, Seeing as we're hitting August, it is time to have a little mini-season with a little summer twist, our very own Schwartzman Summer. So for the next five weeks, we will be looking at films starring or featuring the one, the only, Jason Schwartzman. And we'll be kicking off with episode 47 of the podcast so yeah we're still we're still carrying on the numbers it's not it's not a whole new no, numerical system for this because that would just be hella confusing for everyone involved and especially me but the film we are kicking off with today is 2002's jonas ackland uh directorial debut uh well feature at least um spun which uh is jason schwartzman's fourth um acting role and it's a real doozy and i was joined by a fantastic guest somebody who knows very much about the 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 rock and roll world um fantastic interviewer a fantastic guest and a fantastic man uh matthew stocks matt stocks though i said matthew that felt very formal all of a sudden but yeah i was joined by matt stocks to talk about this film and it's a very fun chat. Obviously, all of the regular spoiler warnings do apply. We talk about this film in all of its sordid details. And there are sordid details uh, to be had in this film. Um, but with all of that out of the way, I guess all that's left to do is to go hassle Spider Mike. Try and get your hands on that grubby, grubby crank as we make some Coppola Connections. J. 
Jason Schwartzman, here we come, right back where we started from. Jason Schwartzman. You join us for the start of Schwartzman's summer. Here, Caged in Towers, we've been awake for days trying to make sense of Jonas Ackland's 2002 directorial debut, Spun. Based on three days of the screenwriter Will De Los Santos had driving around a drug dealer in the winter of 1995. The other screenwriter we have here is Creighton Vero, and the film stars Brittany Murphy, Mickey Rourke, Mina Savari, John Leguizamo, Peter Stromer, Alexis Arquette, Patrick Fuggett, Eric Roberts, and today's Coppola Connection, our boy, our summer boy, Jason Schwartzman. Joining me to help figure out if the Coppola family are uncut, pure good stuff, or a strung-out bunch of tweakers coasting by in Hollywood, it's presenter, podcaster, author, and DJ, Matt Stocks. How are you today, Matt? I'm doing good, man. I've got two questions for you right out the gate. Okay, yeah. If that's all right. First of all, how did you record that jingle? Because it is a work of art. Did you get the <laughs> instrumental, the stems, and then just sing over the top? How did that magical piece of music come together? So I had to, yeah, I, I, I listened to the intro to the OC tons to figure out what was the edit they have for that because it's like a chopped up version. Found a really good karaoke version on YouTube. <laughs> like uh kept matching up being like oh that's that part of the song so they used the intro there they used that part from that chorus and then they used the the complete end of the song so like did that and then sang yeah sang over the top so there's probably about four or five layers of me singing uh i couldn't i couldn't sustain that note so any uh, <laughs> any uh eager eared listeners will notice that i've I've drowned it in effects and uh, I've actually looped my voice so because I couldn't do the uh, swords, like the really long one I couldn't do. Uh, cause I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm but the crapness is where the charm oh, is. Oh, of course, of course. That's what, <laughs> and, and obviously it's a, it's, it's a nice little nod to the fact that obviously Jason Schwartzman was the drummer of Phantom Planet as well. So it all... <laughs> back to see this man goes not only deep with the research ladies and gentlemen but he goes deep with the production to bring you jingles like that yeah. i knew there'd be a story there it's not just a case of i'm going to sing over an existing piece of music and you know deliver it as it is that is a fine piece of, of radio jingle audio delight and then my second question is you mentioned there this is the start of Schwartzman summer is this the very first episode have i got that honor or are we just in the early stages of? No, well, yeah, Schwartzman Summer. So for the, for the month of August, we are looking at um, a select uh, amount of Jason Schwartzman's films in chronological order. Um, and this was his first, wasn't it? Oh, th th this is, yeah, well, this is his fourth uh, feature. His first would have been Rushmore. Of course. Look at something in the early stages of his career uh, and then kind of, yeah, I'm going to be working my way through. Um, look, I'm not. I'm not going to say what the other films are just yet because I want it to be a surprise for the listener each week. I've, I, you got I, it. It probably will be out on social media what year those films came out, but it gives people a chance to speculate and hope that their their film that they enjoy from that year uh, is coming up. And then 
be bitterly disappointed <laughs> <laughs> you gotta tease it well i kind of wish you'd invited me on to talk about rushmore because that is my favorite wes anderson film to date i love it so much i, I always wanted to be in one of your fucking please fisher it's so good <laughs> it's so 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 good <laughs> these are or scrubs oh are they <laughs> well that that that, that, that well, we'll get to we'll probably get to rushmore um in a moment because yeah we're gonna have a little kind of Jason Schwartzman loving, but one of the questions I always like to start off this podcast by asking is, when did you become aware of the Coppola family? <clears throat> and by that, like, <laughs> was there an entry point to the family? And then when did it kind of spiral out to realizing that, like, there's not just, I don't know, a handful of them. There's this kind of, there's loads of them, right? Like, it's a dynasty. Yeah, it's a dynasty. I think the obvious it was it was uh, Godfather for sure. It had to be. My dad's a big cinephile, and he you know introduced me to a lot of films growing up. And when I started getting into more adult cinema, when I discovered Pulp Fiction and got into the indie movement of the nineties, then my dad would introduce me to all the you know new wave Hollywood kind of classics from from his childhood. So Apocalypse Now or The Godfather, it was one of those two. It, it probably actually was Apocalypse Now which my young mind was just in no way ready for. You know, you see a film like that when you're 12, 13, maybe even 14 years old. And it's so big and so ambitious and so insane. Um, you know, I didn't really appreciate its true worth until many years later. Yeah. And the same with The Godfather. You know, if you grow up watching films like Goodfellas and Casino and Pulp Fiction, you know, The Godfather is a lot more laconic and, you know, po poetic and slow and drawn out and, you know, it doesn't have that same visceral impact that those 90s God, you know, kind of like Goodfella type films had. But yeah, I think let's just say the joint introduction was was Godfather and Apocalypse now by, of course, the the head of the couple of the <laughs> yeah. couple of family, uh, Francis Ford. And then um, and then it would have been Sophia with um, the film she did with Bill Murray. That's name in true travesty like fashion escapes. My mind. Well, some could, say, that some could say it's lost in translation, that, that, that title. There it is. <laughs> there. I had no idea till many years later that Nicolas Cage was a part of that family. And I think the moment I discovered that fact was actually in Rumblefish, which is my favorite Francis Ford Coppola film. I adore that movie so much um, because I'm a massive fan of all of the actors in it, from Matt Dillon to Dennis Hopper to, to my main guy. Mickey Rourke, who I'm sure we'll be talking about oh, yes. in more depth and detail today. Um, and yeah, a friend of mine was like, because I was like, no way, look at how many young actors are in this. It's kind of like a Brat Pack classic. And, and my mate was like, yeah, yeah, well, you do know that Nicolas Cage is Francis Ford Coppola's, it's his nephew, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I had no idea, no idea whatsoever. So it was all fairly in succession. I think it was, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, I kind of got introduced to late 90s. Lost in Translation, I would have seen that almost immediately when it came out uh, because I'd seen the surname of the director and thought, oh, so she's obviously related to him. And then the cage fact dropped soon after that. And around this time as well was when I was introduced to the work of Wes Anderson, initially through Bottle Rocket, his first film, which I love, and then Rushmore, which is, as I mentioned to you, my favorite film by Wes Anderson to date. I think he's almost slipped into a parody of himself in later years. And some people might hate me for saying that. But. No, there, there, there's a, there's a term we use on this podcast called 
he kind of it's almost like a theme park version of Wes Anderson. We call it Wes Landerson. It's like where everything is kind of these shoebox dioramas, and it's so tight. And there's almost like it's like he did he did a, a stop motion animated film, and then after that, he's like, oh, I can just treat actors like stop motion, and it's kind of like yeah, a snake eating its own tail almost. Yeah, the last one of his that I actually really enjoyed was Grand Budapest Hotel. I've not enjoyed anything he's done since then. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, peak Wes Anderson is Rushmore, followed shortly after by Raw Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic in that order. They're my top three, and I can almost take or leave anything else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my introduction to the Coppola dynasty in a rather large nutshell. <laughs> so <laughs> where, where, like, where, when would you have become aware that Jason Schwartzman was a member of the family because obviously his mum is Talia Shire, Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Obviously, she's most famous for being Adrian in the Rocky films. What, what, what do you remember when you figured figured out he was a part of the family? Again, around the same time when I saw the movie we're here today to discuss, Spun. Uh, I always thought that you know that I was like, that's the kid from Rushmore, isn't it? And then you know when you see a guy that you like in a couple of films that you really like you begin to then obviously research his work but the thing is this might make me sound very old or very outdated but i didn't really have the internet in my life until around 2005 um it was obviously around for many years before then but growing up i didn't have the internet at home so I never had MSN or Hotmail or Messenger or MySpace or anything like that. And it wasn't until I went to uni and I'm reading English literature that, you know, you then you need the internet as a resource tool. So I began to use it a lot more. And then I joined Facebook when I was at university to promote DJ nights and, you know, then became somebody who, like everybody now, uses the internet all the time. But till I was 18, dude, I lived an almost 100% internet-free life, as crazy as that might sound in today's world. So there wasn't really anywhere for me to go to find out uh-huh. you know, facts like this yeah, yeah. And, jo- and join those dots. It was just through DVD extras. I mean, that's where a film geek like me growing up in the 90s and early noughties would have found out a lot of this stuff. And for me, the heartbreaking thing about the decline of DVD sales. And I know Blu-ray is now a thing, but not in the way that DVDs used to be. And the joy of DVDs was that, you know, those two disc collector edition DVDs that you buy where you'd have an hour of behind the scenes content, featurettes, interviews, and, and you'd find out everything about this film. And all of that information now kind of just gets a Wikipedia page instead. And it's just not the same. Well, I, I like, we'll get into it with spun but like the dvd for this it's just a single disc but it has two as like the deleted scenes two commentary tracks a load of like stills from it It has like a little uh, featurette of uh, mickey rourke as the cook like i think it was a trailer they made of him like showing you how to cook a batch of methamphetamine like a a jokey trailer and stuff like that and it's yeah i think now Obviously, the Blu-ray market is it's become very niche. It's it's for collectors. It's not like it, I've noticed. Kind of going into uh, supermarkets recently, the DVD section is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's kind of I don't even see them anymore. They're obviously <laughs> there, but they're just so not on my radar. Yeah. But yeah, there's probably like twelve films, isn't there? Yeah, and it's kind <laughs> of like a lot of it'll be like those kind of knockoff like 
at a glance. It would just, just like be it. the new Marvel film, won't it? Every it, time. It's, just... it's, it's that, or a lot of the time, it's, you know, those films that, like, at a glance, you might think, oh, that's 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 a Jurassic Park film, and it's not till you've kind of got home and paid for it, you realise, oh, no, we've got we've got prehistoric park. We've got the, like, knockoff version that they someone's someone's whipped up for a hundred grand and kind of like shipped out there and stuff like that yeah it's a lot of like kind of i don't and dad thrillers a lot of like sub taken movies and stuff like that that's what you see knocking about Boxed disappointment like basically <laughs> yeah 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 uh so um obviously yeah you've interviewed a lot of people you've um you you move you, you're a mover and shaker matt have you have you ever met a copla no i i have interviewed the two connections i have to this film uh, are Rob Halford, um, who's obviously in Spun, and he told me an amazing story. So he was sick on the set um, whilst he was filming it, and he'd never acted in a film before. This is his first time in a film, and he was ill, and he just said he felt really under the weather and you know just out of sorts and shy. And he said Mickey Rourke would come to his trailer every day with chicken soup, homemade chicken soup that he'd made, to try and help him get better. And he just said, Mickey, and all of this story is in the episode with Rob Halford, Life in the Stocks, which is the name of, of one of my podcasts. Look for the Rob Halford episode. You can hear the full story from from the heavy metal god's mouth. But yeah, he just talks about how sweet and lovely Mickey Rourke was and he'd run through lines with him and just kind of, you know, had his back and saw that he was feeling a little bit poorly. So, you know, because he's obviously been you know, in, in boxing and, and sports for all his life. He knows the tricks to, yeah, yeah. you know, get over a little cold and get out there and fight <laughs> another round. So, yeah, there, there's that link. And then uh, Jonas Ackland, the director, has also been on my podcast, and he's somebody I've actually remained in touch with quite a lot, and he's just such a sweetheart, man. He's such a really, really lovely, good dude. Um, he's obviously got his new series, Clark, on Netflix at the moment. But, yeah, never, never even shared air with a coppola sadly <laughs> uh yeah uh, mutual mutual friend of ours Stu whiffin his kind of uh his his connection was sharing air he said he saw phantom planet back in the day so it's like yeah i was in the same room as jason schwartzman i'm taking that so, so i like that you went for the the, the sharing air uh um, part of it there's this guy here named ross and he's got a car what kind Volvo. okay ready Spoof, dope, crank, creep, bomb, spank. Middle uh, fetamines. Call it what you will. It's all methamphetamine. That's what I'm here for. Hey. I'm not hooked. Listen, pussy boy. I'll make you deal. Six months worth of dope. Just give me a ride where I gotta go. So how many more stops do you have to make? Just keep driving, lover boy. Hi! That's a real man. Oh, respect. Nice. Run this over to Spider. You know, actually, maybe the road stops here. I can't give you that ride. <laughs> I need a ride. So, <clears throat> what you looking at? This is it. And you tell that little insect that I said to chill the fuck out. Yeah, I understand. What's the real deal between you and Mickey? I like you even though you're not a normal guy. Hey, Cookie. What's up? Oh, my God, it's the cars. Michael, they're coming! Oh, God damn. Ross, where's Nikki? Um. <laughs> You're going to be 
okay, you know, Nick. You're gonna be, you're gonna be cool. and you don't really notice it while it's happening. Life is sort of passing by. So, I think you've answered this, but would your first Jason Schwartzman film would have been Rushmore, right? Like, Yeah, first would have been Rushmore for sure. Um, but this is great. I mean, I love Spurn. I think that at this time, Jonas Ackerlund was so hot in Hollywood so hot right now like he'd done smack my bitch up for the prodigy and he'd done ray of light for madonna which you know won him all the awards and that was just you know it changed the way music videos were being made at that time and then he went on straight after that to work with everyone from like ozzy to the smashing pumpkins obviously billy corgan is in spun as well and he does all the music for it uh christina aguilera beautiful so already he had this really wide scope of like pop stars you know lady gaga and all these people he'd later work with as well big pop divas and then like metal legends. And he just had connections with everyone in that entire music community. And so he pulled them all together, obviously for Spurn, you got Debbie Harry's in there, Rob Halford, who I said, Billy Corgan. Uh, and it's just the style, you know, some people don't like his style and yeah. think that it perhaps doesn't belong in cinema, but I adore his edit style so much. It's so, well, it's not unique anymore because it's been copied and rehashed a million times over, but it's hard to imagine if you're just looking at this film, in 2022 and you'd never seen it before you, you just think oh, i've this feels like a bad youtube video but the fact is as he was inventing that style yes. in 2002 there was no feature films using that, that style of editing whatsoever uh, and he took his music video aesthetic and, and translated it into a feature film which obviously a lot of critics didn't like and that's why it did get you know panned but especially considering the subject matter you know it's not just style for style's sake yeah, yeah, yeah. The film is about meth heads and it is about, you know, the speed in which your brain works when you're high on crank and his style of editing perfectly suits, you know, the first person perspective that you get in a lot of these car rides. And I mean, the, the scene that stands out to me the most, which makes me feel nauseous, even thinking about it is when Jason Schwartzman leaves the girl tied to the bed uh -huh. after they've had sex and he goes out and he hits play on his cd player to drown out her screaming but he doesn't realize that as he leaves the cd begins to skip yeah. <laughs> and it continues to skip and it stays in the loop of skipping for hours and hours and hours on end and that for me is like a form of chinese torture it's just so hellish even thinking about yes. that yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dark 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 stuff and the film is very dark because obviously you know that walk of life is is bleak but then there's this real, you know, cheeky humor in there as well, which you see in all his videos, especially with all the work, you know, he did with Ramstein. One of the things I find quite uh, funny is his, it, Jonas Ackland's like, previous credit to this film is he did the Ali G and Shaggy video for Majuli. Yeah. Which is yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the yeah. credit before this. And it's like, kind of like, what kind of polar opposites from going, for, do you know I mean? Like a kind of novelty video, like a novelty song. To a film that is, I don't know, hard hitting, but as you said, it is, it's got this cheeky humor to it. It's a mixture. It's got like animation in it. It's got all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, it holds the, I'm not sure if it still does, but for a, lo a long time, it held the record for having the most amount of cuts in it, which I believe are 500 
5,345 uh, cuts within the film, edit points. And I think one of them, uh, it's just insane. There is a, there is a cut when uh, Peter Stromer and Alexis Arquette's characters kick in the door of uh, Spy, Spider Mike's uh, house. And there is a, it's maybe like a frame. It just goes bang, bang. And like, it's, it's like I watched the commentary track and Jonas Ackland's there going like, you need to watch this. This is insane. Like, it's just kind of like, he just wanted to throw this stuff. Like you said, for, for very formatic reasons uh, to, to encapsulate the kind of, I don't know, the mania of these people who kind of live this life. But, but yeah, before we get any deeper into discussing the film, Matt, can you kind of give us, uh, I know it's a plot light film, but give us a brief synopsis of what Spun is all about. <laughs> um, I think it's just about a day or two days. I can't remember the time frame, but it's, you know, essentially it's a fucking meth head just rolling around town trying to score. From what I remember, yes. um, it's more one of those films for me that, as you say, plot light, I think would be an overstatement. But what it is, is just one of those great ensemble films. It's more like a film... Um, What's the name of the Richard Linklater 90s movie, the, the first film that he did? Days and Confused? Not Days, no. Uh, Slack, uh, is it Slackers? Slacker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Slacker. It's more like a film like that to me. It's just like a, almost a documentary. It's obviously not because it's highly stylized and it's fictional, but there is no storyline really. It's just a camera on the streets capturing life in this particular area, you know, both geographical and cultural and it's just a study, really, of like the kind of <laughs> the dark side of life. Yeah, I think what's fascinating about that point is um, Creighton Vero actually, whilst prepping this film and writing the script, spoke to a lot of meth heads and like cooks and stuff like that. So the characters he had met, he'd like kind of instilled within these characters. So like Spider Mike, there is a whole thing that he met a guy who, for some reason, his biggest fear was to be arrested whilst wearing a dress. So they kind of, they, they, he'd wrote that into the script and I think it eventually got chained to Spider Mike just having a sock over his cock looking like a 80s Chili Peppers member. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and what a fucking actor, man, John Leguizamo. Uh, if you want to read one of my favourite Hollywood autobiographies, um, Pimps, G's and something else, but it's, it's John Leguizamo's autobiography is so outrageous. Uh-huh. Um, and so funny, and he's just such a talented actor, and that he he does a lot of one man plays, um, a couple of which I think are on Prime. So they're just like you know, it's stand up comedy, but it's got dance and set changes, and it's the story of his life. You know, it's like a one man stage show. He's just so talented, and around that time, he was beginning, I think, to get some mainstream recognition. Um, he'd obviously been you know, kind of like cameo bit part type roles in some nineties classics like Carlito's Way and stuff, but. I think it was after Romeo and Juliet and, and around that time he yeah, started I, getting... I think 99 you know, he would have done uh, Summer of Sam as well with uh, Spike Lee, which... Yeah. Get a fantastic performance. And like his performance in this, like, yeah, what do you, what do you make of that kind of... Like the way this film opens with the fact that it's just like Jason Schwartzman turns up to Spider Mike's apartment and then it's just like... Today, it doesn't feel like your traditional way of introducing characters. It's just like we're here, right? It's like we're just kind of plonked in the middle, and it's not like anyone's being introduced to anyone. It's like they all know each other already. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're just. Yeah, I, th I think I've got some thoughts on that. I think because I, 
you know, from a very early age started watching a lot of art house cinema. I've never really been conditioned in that way to believe that there should be establishment and plot. Uh-huh. And I've, n- I've never been too fussed about any of that. And I know some people it really throws them, especially films that, you know, have an open end. I know some people just can't fucking deal with that. Uh-huh. They're like, what? But what happens? How does it end? But the, none, none of that has ever really phased me when it comes to cinematic experiences because I believe all art should just take you on an emotional journey. It doesn't matter too much about plot. Um, if there's no middle, fine. If there's a start, great. If there's no end, who cares? Like, it's just more about the things that, you know, the images that you're seeing on screen make you think and feel. Um, and that's why I love Spun is because at that time it was just such a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, there was a lot of movies in the nineties that, you know, kind of like the same way that the seventies directors did would, would play with the conventions of Hollywood and stuff, but stylistically not so much. Um, but Spun was just, like I said earlier on, it's really hard to imagine in 2022 how off the wall that film that film was then. And you had all these stars in there, like legit stars. And Brittany Murphy, man, we got to talk about her because what an angel, what a beautiful, incredible actress, just so sexy, man. Like so, <laughs> yeah. Even even as a method, fine, <laughs> even as a method, she is just gorgeous. And Eight Mile, she is gorgeous in that as well. And she was just such a a magnetic presence on screen. Mm-hmm. And what a sad, tragic loss of life because yeah. she's you know an incredible actress and she didn't do a lot of work, but the work she did. And Mina as well. Is it Mina Savino? Mina Savari. Yeah, yeah, yeah genius casting with her you know all she was known for really was kind of american beauty and american pie (laughs) and she's like this bow in both of them and then to have her as this absolute like tramp just messed up tramp in this and the the most genius casting of all aside from mickey rourke obviously is the cook which is we'll save him for last but um, the, I don't know the actor's name, but the lad who played the little boy in Almost Famous. Yeah, pa- Patrick Fuggett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like like he of... is so clean cut in Almost Famous, like, you know, proper all-American boy next door. And then you see him in this, and I didn't even recognize him until like <laughs> halfway through the film. And I was like, it's because of the eyes. You know, he, he still has those innocent, big, buggly eyes. Even now, I, I'm not sure. Like, I saw him, he, 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 prop, he, he, he pops up in Gone Girl, and it's like, it's the kid from Almost Famous in like a David Fincher film, and he looks like the kid from all, even though he's like got to be in his like thirties now or something. He's like he just yeah he has those I don't innocent puppy dog eyes, doesn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. you nailed it. Like. And he's got one of those hats, hasn't he, with like the <laughs> propeller on top? I think it is, or it's got the ears down the side. It's one of those novelty unusual hats. But yeah, it's just such an incredible ensemble cast. And sometimes you can, you know, lose a film in having too many just characters and actors and it can overwhelm, you know, and kind of take away from the story or they're just, you know, they're covering the fact that there isn't a story. And obviously with Spun, there kind of isn't, but it doesn't really matter because it doesn't feel for me at any point like what you're watching is nonsensical or meaningless or purposelessness. That's a word. (laughs) Um, It always feels like, I don't know, it just feels like you're in the rhythm of a day in the life of one of those people. and that's what I took from it is it captured that walk of life in a very, although it's hyper real, a very realistic way. Uh, and it made you feel as well. It did make you feel for the characters in it, you know, like Debbie Harry checking in on the girl next door. And you can see there's this real maternal kind of like, you know, maitre d' of the whorehouse type vibe 
about Debbie Harry's character and, you know, brilliant piece of casting with her as well. Um, and you feel even like the fucking asshole characters like Spider, like they're somehow still weirdly lovable. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, I no, like I, I, I get generous. it. <laughs> I, I like the fact that you don't like, I don't know, other films would have explained, like, because for all intents and purposes, Jason Schwartzman's character of Ross, like to look at him, like obviously he looks strung out in this, but like Jason Schwartzman himself looks like a nice, well-to-do boy. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that thing of you you never know who's going to take like this this kind of dark path in life and like I don't know we we probably all well been in- it, let's without being too dark on you right Ian Watkins from the Lost Prophets is the perfect example of how methamphetamine can fucking warp a mind and ruin not just a life but multiple lives in the most heinous and unthinkable of ways. And yeah, we won't dwell on that because that is a very, very, very dark subject. But I know for a fact from people inside that camp that, you know, whatever problems he had before may well have been there. But what accelerated that descent into evil, pure evil, was meth. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, the, the, the character of Ross. And I like, I like the fact that the film doesn't, it's not about his decline. He's already kind of, he's already there. Like, and, and, and he's un savable yeah and and in his head he's he's a normal guy he, he there's that discussion he has and that kind of amazing sequence we get later on in the film with him and Brittany murphy in the car and like again it's a testament to jonas ackland's editing and like the overlaying of them two just discussing about their lives and she's telling him about how she used to have like she had a kid who got taken away by the state and how her family live in vegas and he's he's there going, yeah, I'm, I'm a normal guy, and then tells her about like how for for the past two days he's had a woman like chained to his bed with tape over her mouth and eyes, and it's like you are beyond the the yeah you're beyond the point of no return here. Like it's the and it, I don't know, and it's it it does that clever thing in a film where it shows you the life of 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 these kind of degenerate people doesn't at the same time is a warning for like this is what it could be like but at the same time isn't because it just like it it just presents it it doesn't take too much judgment it doesn't kind of go like oh look how horrible they are it's kind of like it's not a cautionary tale with a you know moral backbone no it's just here's the situation go along for the ride and it does it in that uh almost i don't know like you're saying like documentary like like way in the fact of it's not yeah it's not taking judgment either end of it's not going like look how cool do you know what I mean like certain films for example uh yeah it's been leveled at um the wolf of wall street where it's like the thing of the the people it's portraying are despicable do you know what I mean like Jed um Belfort and like the kind of that those stock traders are all horrible people but there's a sheen to the film for certain people that makes it look like aren't they having the best time? Like, isn't this great? Like, we should be rooting for these guys almost. Whereas this is just like, no, this is who these people are. You can make up your own mind as to whether, like, you think it's cool. I don't think, I would, I think if we did a poll of 100 people, there's not many who are going to be like, that's the way I want to live. 
you know what I mean? Mm. But like, I like. Here's the thing, though, right? Is cocaine, which is the drug of choice. <laughs> yes. I, know, I know they dabble with others, but cocaine is the drug of choice in Wolf of Wall Street. And for most people, cocaine is the more desirable, commercial, socially acceptable drug. Meth, and you've got to bear in mind as well, this is years before Breaking Bad. Yeah. And nobody had depicted really like a whole film about meth use, about the cooks, the consumers, the whole scene before this. You know, obviously Breaking Bad would make an entire series around that world in, in its own way, of course. But And you'd have the occasional like hillbilly tweaker character in films, often horrors and stuff like that. But you hadn't had just like a straight up character study of young people using this thing before this film. And the reason he got to do it is just because he was so successful at that time. He said to me, basically, I could have made any film at that point. Yeah. There's, there's points in people's career when they're so hot and on the rise that they could just make anything they wanted to. They've got all the financial backing. They've got the creative freedom. And that was one of those instances. Like a film like that would never be made today, and I th- ever. I, I think from what you were saying of like uh, how kind of um, yeah hot Jenna Sacklin was in kind of Hollywood, is it gave him leverage to make the film he wanted to make. He kind of touches on it in the commentary track by saying one of his biggest stipulations was to have final cut on the film. It was Mm -hmm. like... For a first-time filmmaker, which would, (laughs) again, that would never happen now because music videos aren't, you know, a thing really, certainly not what they were. And, you know, the music video budgets back in those days would have been, you know... Well, yeah, he said said the budget for this film... As big as a feature film. is is, ...is how much he would have... The budgets he would have had uh, two music videos he did a, he did this whole film so it took 22 days to shoot two million dollars uh to, to to do uh he was given 25 days but like they wrapped early because he was so so worried that they were going to pull the plug at any time and mm-hmm. made made allowances to keep the budget small because he kind of had the savvy to know that if 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 there's low expectations for this film, I can squeeze more stuff through, and I can like if people if people do you know what I mean almost like if if it's a big budget, you've kind of got more people looking over the fence like oh, what what are they doing yeah. over there? Whereas like he's like we're keeping it nice and low, two million dollars like in uh, two thousand and two would have probably been yeah very like small change like for a studio. So they're like he's just getting away with like and then obviously having these stipulations and. Yeah, he mentions again on that commentary track that he thought they weren't going to, because he gave them a list of demands. He, he unfortunately doesn't go into them, but I, I guess Final Cut would have been kind of top of the list. Uh, he thought they weren't going to go for it. He thought they were going to be like, nah, like, because I think the, the script, was, he'd had the script for like two years or something like that and kind of just so busy. I think they had seen the video for uh, Smack My Bitch Up was the kind of one that went, that's our guy. That's the guy who needs to direct this movie, and it's kind of like, yes, it's the right, it's the right choice, right? Like he, he definitely is the the right person to make this film. And I don't know. It kind of, again, it it kind of, it almost. He's got a perfect. I don't know. It, it works as a perfect double bill with one of his later films as well. I think. I think Lords of Chaos is another film that kind of depicts a certain way of life in that through that like. Jonas. Have you seen Small Apartments? No, 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 no. That's that's the one, mate. You need that's his best film he's ever made. Um, it got very little in the way of press, or I don't really know what happened with it. But it's got Matt Lucas, Johnny Knoxville, James Kahn. It's exactly the same world 
as spun really it's like these kind of degenerate street level you know loser no hoper addict type people uh it's a bit more fantastical because matt lucas has these dreams where he's in the alps in like lederhosen's and i don't want to give too much away there's a lot more of a plot there but matt lucas dude i remember i watched this film in the middle of the night it was just on tv and i was like what on earth is this (laughs) And then years later, I rediscovered it and watched it again and was just reminded of just how insane and zany and brilliant it is. But Matt Lucas's performance is genuinely moving and harrowing and beautiful. And I tweeted him. I was like, dude, this performance in Small Apartments is one of the best performances I've ever seen. And he's like, oh, thank you, like tweeting me back. He's like, oh, thank you so much. I think he even followed me back because he just, he was ne- <laughs> he'd never had anybody tweet him about this film when i interviewed jonas i was like small apartments dude that's the one and he's like that's my kind of you know one of my favorites too it's such a great film and it's that exact same cinematic universe as spun you got to see it um and the reason that he met matt lucas because you know you think how the fuck jonas <laughs> ackland is a very well connected dude obviously but how does matt lucas come in his radar and he said he met matt lucas at a christmas party at robbie williams's house of course He'd made a music. <laughs> he'd made a great music video for Robbie Williams for the song "Come Undone" or "Coming Undone," which is a, a song that I love. I like a bit of Robbie. Not afraid to say it. And um, yeah, he's at Robbie Williams's house in LA, I think, for one of his Chris, famous Christmas parties at that time. Meets Matt Lucas, and he said he just saw him. Just the physicality of him alone. He was like, "I got to make a movie with you." Amazing. And I think he basically wrote small apartments with Matt Lucas in mind. It is a cult masterpiece that film is you need to check that film out I'll, immediately I'll, I'll, I'll i can't recommend it enough i'll definitely be yeah yeah well we've got we've got we've got a triple bill we kind of got like uh we can have uh the fantastical in the middle and then some real darkness to kind of bookend it with yeah there we go with, yeah uh, with, with lords of chaos to kind of finish the night off to really to really leave you on a bummer note <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i guess obviously you've you've made a career kind of in in and around music matt so what what do you make of the music in this because obviously it's like we get all these a lot of covers from billy corgan right on the soundtrack with him doing like is, is there's that one we get near the beginning where it's, it's it's a cover of um number of the beast he does when we get that sequence of jason Sw- it's almost like it's just like a music video unto itself of jason schwartzman driving in the car just kind of like and i think yeah jonas touches on on that so i'm saying I didn't know what this title sequence was going to be, but I just had all this footage of him driving around and just edited it together. And it's like, oh yeah, that'll work. And this song's really great. Like, what, what do you what do you make of the music choices and the kind of Billy Corgan stuff we get throughout this? Well, every film he does, he has a really interesting friend uh-huh. score it. So the the Clark series that he's just done for Netflix, uh, he has Michael Ackerfell from Opeth do the score for that. I can't remember who did Small Apartments, but it was someone amazing as well. But all his films have like a killer artist yeah. as the, the music Lords supervisor. Lords was Sigur Ross, I think. There you go. You know, <laughs> how beautiful is that? Let's make a fucking black metal movie and get Sigur Ross to do the soundtrack. Yeah, Genius. The, the, the polar opposite. You know I mean? Genius. <laughs> but I think he'd done, I think he'd done The Everlasting Gaze uh, for Smashing Pumpkins about a year before Spun came out. So... That was probably right around the time he was connecting with Billy Corgan. I think they did two songs. I think Try, Try, Try was a video he did as well. 
Uh, I love and adore Buddy Corgan. I've interviewed him. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times over the years. I think he's an absolute genius. Um, and I, his voice for me, someone once described his voice as like breathing in fresh air, listening to him sing, uh, which I think is a, an amazing analogy. And yeah, I mean, Buddy Corgan could read the phone book and, and I, <laughs> I'd be all ears. So yeah, I love the soundtrack. I think, um, to be honest, not a lot of it stands out as songs. Like I can't remember a specific scene where there's like a you know really well recognizable song, but um, what I do remember is it just lending to the overall tone of the film, you know, just magnificently well. But I I I think a lot of obviously the, yeah we said about the budget of this film, a lot of it was kind of done on favors and like yeah. kind of the, well or just I'd not even no, say favors. I would say people wanted to be in it, including yes. actors. I wouldn't say that he was calling in favors. I said people were probably calling him going, can I be in your film? I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of actors took little to no pay. I mean, they all would have got paid because they're actors, but you know, people like Debbie Harry and Rob Halford, like I don't think they're asking for big fees. Do you know what I mean? And even, you know, Jason Schwartzman, I'd love to know what he got paid for this, but I can't imagine he asked for a lot because he was probably just looking, he probably wanted that role in this film because he knew it was going to put him out of the the Rushmore, perhaps corner yes. that he'd put him into. Because you know Rushmore is a fairly reductive role. You know, it's it's a fucking amazing film, but you could risk almost being like a Macaulay Culkin type, right? And and ty- like from looking at a lot of Jason Schwartzman's films, is in some of the late some of the films he's done, he's kind of played an extension of that Max Fisher character, almost like these kind of well-educated like preppy kids and who have become like neurotic art, mm-hmm. like, slight just art, geeks art, basically yeah, yeah. But, but like yeah neurotic arseholes there's a film he did called listen up philip which almost feels like a quasi sequel to uh rushmore of like what would what yeah if max fisher had stayed at rushmore he probably would have grown up to be an author and be this kind of insufferable little shit that he is in that film not to say it's it's a bad film it's i i kind of like i i very much enjoy films about uh insufferable unlikable characters a lot of the time it's kind of quite cathartic to be like yeah i can i can see traces of myself in that not in entirely but to kind of exercise that thing of do you know what i mean like oh yeah we all have that that aspect to us and kind of to see it on screen sometimes is a is a great thing and i think um but with this, yeah, and I think the first two people who kind of signed on and got the ball rolling, I guess, for everyone kind of ears pricking up to be like, oh, we've got to be in this, was John Leguizamo and Mickey Rourke. And I think, like, Mickey Rourke was a very vocal supporter for this film, like, uh, from day one to, like, the promotion of it. Like, any time uh, there was film festivals, whether it's, like, Toronto and stuff like that, Mickey Rourke was there, like uh, so. Yeah, obviously, he's, Mickey Rourke. Am I uh, right in saying he's your favourite actor, uh, Matt? Yeah, we'll we'll end the discussion on Mickey. Um, you mentioned Stu Whiffen earlier. He does a show called Hardcore Listing, where he has guests uh, come on the show and discuss their top five favourite whatever their chosen thing is with his best friend Chris. And I went on there, and my chosen topic was Mickey Rourke movies. So my Amazing. top five. Mickey Rourke films. He is, yeah, he's my all-time dream interviewee. He's my favorite actor of all time. He's just a, a man who's fascinated me for many, many, many years. And um, this period for him was his proper renaissance period. 
Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Sin City, this. Um, you know, obviously people call the wrestler his big comeback for a good few years before that, though. He was making some amazing choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, from Marv in Sin City to this, the cook. And and yeah, even Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he's not got a lot of screen time in that, but he's there with his chihuahuas and, he's, you know, he's fucking amazing in that film, as is Johnny Depp. Um, but yeah, as the cook, just a badass motherfucker. Like there's certain times when you see Mickey Rourke on screen even down to the costumes that he's wearing. And you think he's not too far removed from who he is as a, as a man in life I, right I, now I like, in this role. I, I like it and the, the cook is very, I think close. You can just tell he knows characters like that, you know, sleaze bags like that. And not to say that he's one, but you just know that he's walked in those circles and he just plays those types of characters with such unquestionable authenticity. Well, there's, there's a moment in it where he kind of confronts Ross about uh, like looking at uh, Nikki, uh, Brittany Murphy's character. And Jonas Ackerland talks about, like he just said, like, you got to push him or something. But Mickey Rourke does this thing where like, he does that like slow motion as if he's going to like punch him in the stomach and like Jason Schwartzman looks all awkward. And it, like, it feels really real. And I think, I think something that stood out to me from, from obviously he's, knowing Mickey Rourke's love of dogs and he always has these like cute chihuahuas on him is uh, a sign of great acting is he, there is a moment where the dog has to go to the, to the vets and the cook cannot give a single shit about the dog's health. He's like, Oh, it's probably, probably too many secondhand fumes. And I'm like that, that that's acting right there. So he's gone against everything that Mickey Rourke thinks about, about our furry friends. And is like, uh, taps into that. But what you were saying about, um, him kind of drawing upon like real experiences that speech he gives to to ross at the end when he's in the car it's something that like mickey rourke told, just told a story from like something he knew like then like i find elements like that like fascinating and great right that i don't know he can and like yeah the way he's dressed in this as well it, look, it almost with like, a pink cowboy shirt and the white hat and... yeah like, like gun holsters i can imagine mickey rourke wearing gun holsters even without guns in them just kind of like it's a nice little i don't know it's an accoutrement to the outfit like kind of going mm-hmm. and go, yeah and uh and the, the costuming i think throughout is is it, it can look like people have just bought stuff from home but i think it's so specific to so well, like with the kid from Almost Famous with the hat, you know, stuff yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the cast in general, there's people we haven't touched on, like Peter Stromer, an absolute legend, um, a, 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 yeah, a fellow Swede to um, Jonas Ackland, who uh, I've always joked to say that I would do a spin-off podcast called I Can't Believe He's Not Russian, because Peter Stromer plays perfect <laughs> Russians in every movie, it seems to be. Uh, Alexis Arquette as well as, as the other cop. Yeah, just just um, fantastic. So, yeah, before before we start to wrap things up, Matt, is there any any aspects of this film or any scenes that we haven't touched on that you'd like to, like to discuss at all? I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, I'll be completely honest. It's been a good year or so since I've last seen it, so it's not fresh in my mind, but I didn't really want want to rewatch it because i wanted to just see what i would have to think about you know just in my brain um the last time i watched it would have been in my lead up to the podcast with jonas and um i watched everything he this is the only time i've ever done this ever and i said this to him because usually i'll watch 
well, I don't interview many actors, but say if I'm interviewing a band, right, I'll try and listen to every album they've done, but invariably I just won't because I don't have enough time. Uh-huh. With Jonas Ackland, and bearing in mind he has made a shit ton of music <laughs> videos. I watched all his films, but I watched every single music video he's ever done, including full live concerts. I watched everything because I just wanted to go so, so, so deep into the wormhole of his work. And I said to him, I was like, I've seen everything you've ever done, like straight up in the last week, like just crammed it all in. Um, and he, he just really is. He's a one of a kind. I think he deserves more respect in the film industry than he gets. What's the other film he did with Mads Mikkelsen? Um, Polar. Yeah. Fucking brilliant film. Yeah, yeah. So much fun. Like such a and Matt Lucas is in that as well. He's fucking amazing in that. <laughs> it's such an amazing film. Like Lords of Chaos, I think did get the respect and the kind of critical appraisal that it deserves. But Small Apartment should be on everybody's radar because it is a fucking magnificent film. Polar, I loved. Um, I haven't seen Clark yet. I haven't delved into it because uh, it is a series, not a film. I believe. I think it is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. Yeah. But up until that, I'd seen everything the guy's done. But yeah, I mean, Spun for me is a film of my youth. It, it was a magical time in my life, 2002. I was leaving school that year, you know, going to college, took ecstasy for the first time. <laughs> like, you know, was moving from childhood to young adulthood, from boy to man, and, and just immersing myself in art and music and cinema. And, you know, that film, it just combined everything. It had this music video director who was working with all my favorite bands at that time you know ozzy osbourne and pumpkins and you know rammstein later on all these amazing acts it had at that time my favorite actor in the world in it mickey rourke it had john leguizamo who i fucking adored and as i said his book um is is so worth reading it tells about all the you know debauchery that he used to get up to <laughs> in particular with leo on the set of romeo and juliet and he's like if i was to actually write about what went down we wouldn't have careers so you can only imagine <laughs> those two at that time like the peak of their you know youthful good looks and absolute runaway debauchery um and then britney murphy who was like my all-time crush at that time between that and eight miles so I don't like to watch films like that too often because for me they are in a time capsule of that time and place and they're just so special and dear to my heart. And that's not just me making excuses for not doing the homework. No, here. No, like, no, no. I, I this, think... is, this is from the heart, this stuff. Spun for me will forever live in the same way that films like Pulp Fiction do. I'm not saying it is cinematically important as Pulp Fiction. Of course it's not. But to me, it's as important as a personal favorite as a film that appeared at a time in my life when it just all the elements struck an exact chord with everywhere that i was at musically cinematically personally and it's just it's a film i cherish to this day it's it's interesting that you mentioned pulp fiction because like one of the things i was thinking like whilst watching this to, to speak to you today was like this film it feels like the bastard child of quentin tarantino and john waters do you know what i mean it's kind of got like the the depiction of these kind of um, LA scumbags, but then it's just got the absolute kind of fat dripping off it of like a John Waters film. Like there's scenes of the the young kid in his like trailer with his mum, and like the camera focuses in on like fingers covered in like Cheetos and mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. Down his chest and stuff. Dude, like then that. you need 
sorry to keep sounding like a broken record. <laughs> you you need to watch Small Apartments. Small Apartments is straight out of the John Waters, David Lynch kind of world. I love it. I love it. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, let's let's wrap up this conversation. How we do that over here, Matt, is um, I like to ask my guests if they can figure out uh, or if they've they've done the homework to find out is there any Coppola connections within this film? Don't worry if you haven't got any because I've got plenty. Well, not plenty. I've got five. Uh, people who have worked in this film who worked with the Coppola family, either in front of, behind the camera, elsewhere in their career. Did you manage to? Is there any, any spring to mind for you? Well, Mickey Rourke, Rumblefish, yes. as I said earlier on, uh, obviously. Schwartzman is blood related because yes. that yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Ob- he, he that's, ob- <laughs> that's obviously a given. Um, let me take a moment. I won't wait on it too long. I'll I'll, I'll rattle off one whilst you're thinking. So Mickey yeah, Rourke is also in the Rainmaker. Uh, Mina Savari is in Sunny, which is is, the is Rainmaker the John Grisham novel? Yes, the the yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 yeah. And uh, Mina Savara is in Sunny, which is the only film that Nicolas Cage has ever directed, uh, which is about a New Orleans uh, male gigolo, uh, which I think back in the day Cage wanted to be in it and then aged out of the role. So he gets James Franco to basically be uh, his conduit for that role, which is a, a fascinating film in, in its own right. And you could, I don't know, if it came out in the eighties, you could imagine someone like Mickey Rourke playing that role as well. It kind of, mm. there's, a, there's a again sleaziness to it, but she's in that. Debbie Harry is in the Martin. I wanted Scorsese. to say something with Debbie. So she's yeah. in a Martin Scorsese short called Life Lessons, which is a part of an anthology film called New York Stories. Yes, which has a, a short by Francis Ford Coppola and Peter. Does, does Woody Allen do one of them as well? Woody Allen does Oedipus Rex and. Um, once Ford Coppola's one's called Life of Zoe or something like that. Or Zoe, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's Paris stories as well, right? Have you seen that anthology? That's no. a good one too. No, no, no. I've uh, no, 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 yeah. Uh, I've so much. I've so many films to watch for this podcast. Man, trying, <laughs> yeah. To, to well, I imagine you don't really get to watch stuff outside of the the Coppola <laughs> dynasty ever because there's just too many to do within it. I, my, my evenings at the moment are spent trying to catch up with stuff I've missed at the cinema. So You just uh, hang out and watch Scorsese films whenever you're not doing research for this. Yeah. Even that like, kind of feels like it ties back in. It's, like, I'm <laughs> it's too close. It's too close. Yeah, exactly. He's mates with Coppola. It's too close. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Obviously, Carlito's Way is, is almost Coppola, isn't it? Brian De Palma yes. and uh, John Leguizamo playing Benny Blanco from the Bronx in that, which is one of my favourite roles of his. He's just amazing. I'd like to see him in a a lot more films it's a crime for me really that he hasn't been cast in more stuff over the years but as i said his one-man stage plays are if you like his on-screen work they're well worth checking out yeah. it's just basically him for 90 minutes impersonating all his family members and every friend and person he's ever interacted with and come into contact with in his life amazing. he's an amazing like in person in, what, impersonator yeah <laughs> amazing uh, um, impressionist that's yeah yeah, yeah. So as uh, yeah, as we kind of uh, get out of here, Matt, let's rate this film. And by the way, we do that on this podcast. It's stupid. It's fun. But what would be the perfect wine pairing for a film like Spun? I'm not sure if you're a wine drinker, but what would be the if it's not wine, you can pick another alcoholic beverage. But what would be? The- I would pick green uh, stones, green ginger wine. <laughs> because it's rough. It's rough as fuck. Like this film, you know. You, you know the drink I mean, stones. <laughs> 
Google, oh. Google it after you get off. Stones Green Ginger Wine. It used to be something that we would steal from our various different parents' spirit cabinets in the 90s when we were getting pissed down the park. I'm not sure what it's meant to go with or in because it's certainly not a, you know, a palatable beverage. But yeah, I would say if, if, if wine is the word, then Stone's Green Ginger Wine, out, out, of, out of the bottle, but the bottle should be wrapped inside a brown paper bag. That is the perfect accompanying yeah. beverage to this film in my eyes that or a, a kind of a tonic wine i think do you know what i mean like i've a, a, a barley wine out of the can yeah or uh what is it uh buckfast or something something mm-hmm. that's really gonna get you oh but no buckfast is genius yeah buckfast <laughs> is genius or cherry b is it i know a lot of people magnum or I don't yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure what the kids. Uh, I think that's uh, that's when you see a lot of road men drinking. Uh, I think something that like you could get easily fucked up on because it's kind of yeah. a, I don't know. That's gonna yeah. You can have a if if you have too much of it, like this film. I think if you watch it too much, you'll probably end up with a headache, and I don't mean that as a as or headache. in jail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can end up with a sock on your cock, kind of ranting <laughs> and raving it. in the, the street. The police kicking down the door in the middle of the afternoon. It's <laughs> a place none of us want to be. So, uh, how much are we paying for this wine? Is it bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf? AKA, is the film any good, Matt? The, I mean, well, that's a kind of a double, double-edged sword because the wine itself would come straight out of the bin, but the, <laughs> but the, but the film is top shelf. For me, but that is you know a combination of different things. It's my fondness for every element I, I referred to earlier on, and its personal place in my you know life. But yeah, I mean, I just think it's a solid movie, regardless of the personal connection. I think it's a great cast. It's memorable. It's unique. It's original. It's visceral. It's all good things that you know cinema should be. So yeah, for me, top shelf, no doubt about it. I mean, yeah, no, I, I'm not going to read out the scores because I don't like to look at like. Rotten Tomatoes like don't, don't like to give it too much airtime, but I one of the things. I will what say, are they saying? Seventy percent? No. What I will say about it is there is a big disparity between the critics and the audience with this film. So it's got a very low critical score, but like the audience score is very high for this film. And I think it's very much to this like this film's legacy is the fact that maybe when it came out in cinemas, people weren't really taken taken away of it, but I think was like the most rented film in like american uh, video stores like when it came out on video and dvd like in 2003 yeah or whatever. well it's a drug movie as well isn't it yeah, let's yeah, be exactly. honest <laughs> it's a it's a movie like train spotting like human traffic like fear and loathing in las vegas it's one of those movies that every student in this country and america would have been getting stoned or high and watching every week yeah. Whilst they were at you know university or college or wherever they were living away from home, so yeah, it's de- it's definitely in that mould of the train spotting, human traffic, fear and loathings of this world. Yeah, and it's that thing of like, like I know a lot of those people are like, and it's that thing of I ain't going to the cinema. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no. it's yeah, exactly. And, and they probably aren't buying it either. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> video piracy is a crime. So's taking pills. Let's do both. <laughs> Amazing. So. Let me ask you two more questions before I let you go, Matt. The first being, which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmographies of the rest of the family. Um, keep as a <laughs> like a pet, or, or or their work gets to stay. Their work gets to stay, <laughs> but in doing so, you erase uh, the rest of the work of the rest of the family. 
Uh, it has to be Francis because I can't live without Apocalypse Now. On its own, that film alone just blows. And I know that Nicolas Cage has got infinitely more films under his belt and so many of those films are so entertaining and awesome. But yeah, I need Rumblefish. I need The Godfather. I need The Godfather too, and I need Apocalypse Now. And I need the convers. Is it the Conversationalist? Oh, yeah, the Conversation. I need, I need that too. So yeah, it would be it would be the king of the the king of the family tree for me. Yeah, and like you always think, I always think about it. Like uh, also, without him, you wouldn't have had any of the others. And you wouldn't like. Uh, yeah, there, there's so many things like that. There is no, no matter what you think about it. There's no Star Wars without Francis Ford Coppola. There is no like kind of. I take it back, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <Just joking. laughs> I think there could be an argument that like new Hollywood movement yeah. isn't what it is without him kind of being the first one out of the gate to really like be like, I've made the Godfather. Like, let's all fucking get. Let you know I mean, like, let's all get into Hollywood before they realise that they've kind of let the let the lunatics take over the asylum, and then mm. Scorsese, De Palma, all get to kind of go wild opens the gate for lucas and spielberg and like who ruined it <laughs> ruined it for everyone and ushered in the 80s <laughs> uh, you, you 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 would be a massive fan if you haven't read it already matt of the book easy riders raging i did i've yeah i read it three or four <laughs> three or four times i love that i mean that book is what makes me hate lucas it's because <laughs> of that book that i hate george lucas so much i don't mind spielberg but george lucas i loathe <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah that's the way that book frames it as well right is those two yeah. kind of uh, the harbingers of death of kind of interesting 70s cinema uh well we won't dwell on that too much that's, just, <laughs> that's a whole other discussion well you're you're keeping it alive with this podcast franchise my man thank you very much well there's a reason this isn't lucas connections <laughs> well, there'd, there'd be about four episodes the guy hardly <laughs> has done any work um so let me ask you probably the most important question on this podcast, Matt, which is what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? No idea. I haven't seen that film in years. I didn't even know the name of the film earlier on, so how am I <laughs> going to get the answer to that right? <laughs> well, it's, it's open for interpretation. What does it? it's, it's one of life's greatest mysteries. It's normally... Is it like who shot Mr. White? Is it one of them? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Who, who shot J.R.? Or who shot Nice Guy Eddie. That's that's (laughs) what it is, isn't it? Not Mr. White. Uh, Yeah, I I have no idea. I'll have to rewatch it. To be honest, I don't love that film. Um, You know, I I enjoyed it at the time. I think I've watched it maybe once since, but it's not one that I've gone back and, you know, reviewed with any kind of excitement or enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Well, yeah, I'll I'll confess. It's never a film I've seen all the way through, and I've kind of held off now. Now that I've done starting this journey, it's like I might as well wait. (laughs) That's so good. Wait until I cover it. And now that I ask this question on the podcast, it's one that like I probably won't cover until there's like a significant episode or the last ever episode. Do you know what I mean? That's it. The last one. Yeah, because the last one. If you can't get Cage, it's like fine. If I don't get Nicolas Cage on the show, I will watch. Lost in translation. It's not that I've not got through it through any means of not liking it. It's more the fact that, like, I always think that 12 p.m. Do you know what I mean? 12 a.m. at night is the perfect time to watch it. It's quite like a kind of meditative, slow film. And it's like, oh, no. And then you always fall asleep. Yeah, I always fall asleep. So it's just like now it's the thing of when it comes up on the podcast, then then I'll be discussing it. And then 
everyone can hear my answer to what I think that Bill Murray says to Scarlett Johansson at the end of it. So, yeah. Um, I like Ghost World for that kind of period of Scarlett uh-huh. Johansson. Um, I think Ghost World is a beautiful and amazing film. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe when you watch it, I'll watch it. Perfect. Let's say that again. <laughs> amazing. So, uh, where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing? Obviously, um, yeah, you have a great Stoke the Fire podcast with uh, Jesse Leach. Uh, where's that at the moment? And what other stuff have you got? Kind of what irons in the fire to keep that analogy going? Have, is there, Matt? So, Stoke the Fire is available inside the internet. Wherever you go to find podcasts, you will find Stoke the Fire there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, etc. We do do video episodes as well. Uh, we just relaunched Series 2, as I'm talking now, here on the old summer of Swartzy. Um, so, yeah, that relaunched this week. Uh, we've got some amazing guests recorded and done. Um, and, yeah, I, I really like doing that show. For me, it's unlike any other podcast out there, and that is a bold claim, but I will back it up. And if you listen... I'm sure you'll be inclined to agree. We go deeper, I think, than any other interview. We talk about suicide, sexual assault, trauma, depression, you know, all the ha- the happy-go-lucky subjects to put a spring in your step. But what we do is we, we treat these heavy subjects with the reverence and the respect that they deserve, and we, we approach them in a way that's empowering and positive and uplifting. Uh, and we've had some incredible stories shared through not just well known celebrity guests but as far as i know we're the only podcast in the world to do this but we invite our listeners onto the show as guests as well and we give them the same billing as we would any rock star or you know well-known entertainer and we interview them for an hour to 90 minutes about their life their struggles their triumph and we've created this really awesome community around the show through doing that through sharing these really personal and powerful stories uh and it's it's a show that's changed my life doing it has really impacted the way i view the world and engage with those around me and yeah i just i'm so proud of the work that we've done to date and it feels really great to be back in it and 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 doing the show again so please if you like you know cathartic therapeutic emotionally intense sometimes heavy but as i said always uplifting and ultimately positive conversations, then definitely check out Stoke the Fire. My other uh, podcast, Life in the Stocks, is on pause for the foreseeable future. I'll be doing occasional live Q&A events from time to time, and then the audio from those will make it up as podcast episodes as and when they happen. So I recently did a brilliant one with Paddy Considine, so any film fans listening to this should definitely check out that recent chat that I had with Paddy life in the stocks again everywhere you get podcasts and then i've got two books out based on that show as well life in the stocks volumes one and two which are collections of my favorite stories and interviews and anecdotes from the podcast history and that's uh over where are they available everywhere you get books basically wh smith waterstones amazon uh and yeah there's people like gene simmons tommy lee Doug Stanhope, Tom Green, Steve-O, loads and loads and loads of great guests in those books as well. And that's kind of it, man. I'm just enjoying summer in Bristol. I'm working at my mate's pub, doing the occasional DJ shift and just taking some time out after six months of touring and mayhem. I'm just enjoying the kind of, you know, the quiet, slower pace of life for a while. So not too much else to plug. But if you follow me on social media at Matt Stocks DJ, 
uh, you can keep up to date with everything on there because whatever I'm, I'm up to, you can be guaranteed I'll post about it. <laughs> at, at, at times, looking at your social media, you look like you're living like every 15-year-old boy's imaginary dream. Like, I think you, you were hosting something for Hot Wheels, like a kind of uh, like monster trucks and stuff like that. And I'm like, Matt Stocks is living the bloody dream. <laughs> yeah, if it's not Dirty Sanchez, then it's Monster Trucks Live. Uh, and they'll be back next year as well. Arena shows all over the UK. Amazing. So um, if you have kids, this is the best day out uh, that your kid will ever get to have. And I've, <laughs> never, I've never done anything that's geared towards children before. And I have such a good time doing it. It's such a positive, joyful, you know, amazing experience. And, and the last run of shows we did were all sold out arenas. It was like when the O2 was the gig we did, uh, the first gig of the year, January the 3rd. So we're three days into the year and I'm dancing the YMCA in front of 10,000 people at the O2. <laughs> it was incredible. I was like, how did life bring me here? But yeah, if you have kids next year, come and see one of these Hot Wheels monster trucks live. Uh, they, they either do afternoon matinee shows or evening shows. So depending on the age of your children, but I'm telling you, it's the best family day out ever. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming and making some Copacabra connections with me. Pleasure to be back on mate on the old larger franchise. And uh, <laughs> yeah, congratulations with everything. It always looks like you're up to cool stuff with this show and, and the other, you know, sister projects that are connected to it. So keep it up long may they reign. And um, yeah, if you ever need me back for another, make the call. Oh, he's, he's gone, ladies and gentlemen. Well, he's left his own show. Well, he's, I've, I've, he's dropped I've his bag and he's burning his hut down. I've got a certain film that one day we, we need to discuss, but we won't, we won't say Save what it that. is. Matt is, Matt, Matt, is, Matt is seeing a Blu-ray right now that we will discuss. That looks gorgeous, point. that packaging does. Say no more, mate. Say no more. <laughs> And there we have it, guys. The first of the Schwartzman Summer episodes in the can. Thank you once again to Matt Stocks for coming and joining me for this chat. Um, it's given me a bit of homework. If you sin small apartments what is your thoughts on the work of jonas ackland what's your favorite is it is it small apartments is it spun is it polar is it uh, clark the the tv series or is it lords of chaos let let me know you can always you can always um keep up to date and uh, get involved in the conversation over on uh twitter instagram facebook letterbox and tiktok all at caged in pod or you can uh, leave me a little email i like i like i like a nice little email and you can do that by emailing me at cagedinpod at gmail.com. Not at cagedinpod. That's the social handles, Petros. What are you talking about? Next week's episode. Uh, already, I've, uh, I've, I've fallen upon my own sword here in a, in a weird way. And that, that might not even be the right turn of phrase for this as well. I've uh, made a rod for my own back. Uh, I was going to do these all in chronological order. Then I realised, uh, with my scheduling of when I'll be recording certain episodes, that I'll be skipping to 2010 next week and then back 2009 the following week. But they're close enough, right? They're close enough. Uh, <laughs> so next week I'll be joined by another Matt. I'll be joined by Matt Brothers, 
who is the one of the busiest men in podcasting. Uh, you may know him from such podcasts as Spotlight, Sudden Double Deep, or the fantastic Is Paul Dano Okay? And I don't know why I left fantastic, but Is Paul Dano Okay? All three of those podcasts are fantastic and always ones that I listen to as soon as they drop a new episode. So I don't know what I'm talking about by just picking up that one. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, so Matt will be joining me to talk about Jason Schwartzman in a villainous role in the 2010 Edgar Wright-directed Scott Pilgrim versus The World, um, which I'm excited for. I'm excited for you guys to hear this chat. I always love chatting to Matt, so I'm sure it is going to be an absolute hoop. It's going to be an absolute hayride of a chat. It's gonna we're going to level up and we're gonna we're gonna fight some evil ex-boyfriends as we chat. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So, if you've enjoyed this podcast or any other episode of the podcast, so yeah, at the moment I'm currently releasing two episodes a week because apparently I am mentally ill and I don't like free time. Apparently, I just really, 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 really care about that content, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but yeah, if you if you want to support the podcast. You can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Cajun pod where you can listen to episodes of the, I'm going to say it's fantastic, uh, Movie Brat Bros, where I just get to have conversations about films of the Movie Brats. So at the moment, we are currently looking at the filmography of the one, the only, Brian De Palma, who um, Matt Brothers actually joined me for a conversation along with Mark Searby, all about Brian De Palma's Carlito's Way, which was a fantastic conversation. So even if you're on a park with £2.50 just for that chat and then duck out, I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's, there's there's other stuff in the back catalogue. Um, I've been a bit I've been a bit slack with Patreon at the moment, but I promise, I promise, I am going to get back on it. I just because uh, it's multiple guests trying to figure out the timings and stuff like that does get a bit difficult at times and obviously doing my homework for the main feed and trying to juggle uh, the chats I'm having at the moment with Will Chitch all about the offer as well episodes released on Fridays if you're not listening already uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, I've been a bit slack but um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to it and it will be a lot of fun but if you don't want to part with any money totally understand that too that is totally reasonable you can head on over to apple podcast acast no acast app doesn't even exist anymore uh, spotify and leave a lovely five star rating and review and maybe yeah what we'll do for the month of august just so i know you've left a review in this time is let me know which is your favorite jason schwartzman film and I will give you a lovely shout out on the podcast if you tell me what is your favourite. Maybe write a little reason as for why. But yeah, leave, leave a rating review because it really, really, really bloody does help. Uh, I know every podcast says that, but we ain't lying. We ain't lying when we tell you that it actually does help what we do. So, with all of that out of the way, I've been Petrus Patsilovus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in 
and I'll catch you next week as we discuss Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I'll see you later. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.